Hello everyone, I'm Dana Stewart-Bullock and this is Transformational Therapeutics. In today's podcast, I will be talking about language. I will, of course, first define language in this model and how to see it in a whole new way, a way that originates in the definition itself. But what is most important is that we define language broadly and then see language as a primary connector for us all. So welcome. In transformational therapeutics, language includes all forms of communication, including spoken language, the language of the body, symbolic language, the language of dreams, the chemical language of our physiology, the language of plants and of animals. All forms of interaction are seen as language. In redefining language as all forms of communication, we open doors to new possibilities, to new forms of connection that can profoundly change our relationships and our way of being in the world. In seeing language as a primary connector and defining it so broadly, we introduce into ourselves and our lives a form of true power. To help me today, my dear friend Rebecca Doring, a healer in her own right, has joined me for this topic. So welcome. Hi, Dana. Hi. Why did you decide to start this podcast? I decided to start it because I've developed a philosophy that is about change in the world and the world is so chaotic. And for me, it's been a way of really simplifying and giving me tools to do some real deep healing. And I think it's time for the world to hear this. How did you develop this model? What's your background? My background is I'm trained as a physical therapist. I've been doing manual therapy for about 45 years. I've learned mostly from osteopaths. I've also learned something called esoteric healing. I've done a lot of study of psychology, particularly Jungian psychology. And treating people as a manual therapist with my hands on them, I started combining the the osteopaths call somato-emotional and I call psychophysiology when I'm treating people. People would come to me with musculoskeletal problems or neurological problems, and eventually we would get into the emotion behind them. And I found that healing didn't really happen until we cleared some of the emotions that were the underlying reason for the dysfunction. And then at some point, language just became the central organizing principle. It was the ultimate end of the path that that to me covered everything. So that's where I focused. And I see absolutely everything as language. Which brings us to today's episode where you are going to share with us all about language and this model that you've created. Could you tell me a little bit about what that is? The name of the model or the philosophy is transformational therapeutics and it's based on language. However, the way that I see language is any form of communication is language and any language is a form of communication. And a philosophy is actually a theory or an attitude held by a person that acts as a guiding principle for behavior. And so the philosophy of transformational therapeutics uses language in all its forms as a way of interpreting and communicating with the world and with the inner world and in and of ourselves and the outer world with other people and beings and the environment. Could you share a story of how you've used language that has been so transformational? I could. There, As a physical therapist, I've treated children for many years. I've treated adults. I've treated people with low back pain, with cerebral palsy, with autism. You name it. I've treated across the spectrum. And that's a funny word. And 
One of the stories I have is there was a little girl that I was working with who was profoundly autistic and didn't really have speech. And I was working with her and she would do what would be called autistic behavior. This child was three or four, putting forms into containers so that the form had to match the container, as little kids do. And in the middle of it, this child picked up a pen and started flying it around over her head like, a, like a, an airplane. And I did not have experience in autism, but I saw it as a stress reaction. And so knowing that oxytocin is a hormone that relaxes people and oxytocin is something that is stimulated by touch, I took this child and held her really tight until I could feel her body calm down. And then I sat her back at the desk where she was doing this exercise and she continued to put the blocks inside the boxes or whatever it was. And this happened a number of times, probably a maximum of three. The second time she picked up the pen, it was a little while later and started flying it around. And I thought, okay, this is a stress reaction. There, there was another teacher in the room who saw it as an autistic repetitive behavior, which I knew if I saw it like that, I didn't know anything about autism. I couldn't really treat it. I didn't have the background. So again, I saw it as a stress reaction, took her, held her, felt her body calm down, put her back. The third time, she picked up the pen, looked at the teacher in front. I was sitting behind her and said, watch this, and looked at me and then lifted it up. And I saw that as a language asking for calming down because this child didn't have enough speech to say to me, could you please hold me and hug me? And that's what I did. And that's one way that I see language. And so what I then provided by doing that is I provided the child with an internal gauge physiologically of an internal gauge of quieting down her system, feeling that quieting down inside of herself instead of it being imposed from the outside by verbal instructions from a teacher. How did you get to that place? Well, I got to it just through my own history and the chaos that I grew up in and my interest in language itself and studying Jung and symbolic language and then working with horses and their language and working with people who didn't really change as I'm working on them physically until we brought in the spoken language and the language of emotions. So it was a combination of all of that. And I felt it in myself, particularly when I was studying the Jungian stuff, that um, I could change my own physiological state by changing how I saw something by changing the language. So if I went to symbolic language, which for me is dream language, it's body language. I mean, the unspoken word is programmed in us from long before we had spoken language. It's millennia old, and so it has a power to it. So in watching people and watching how they communicated with each other and from the lack of communication in my own family of origin, that became my interest in language and communication. And I realized watching people and working with them that if you have the same language, you have a consensual reality and you're in the same model or the same paradigm. That kicked me off to do more research. And most language, most spoken language that we learn is learned very young and the emotional content of it is internalized also from when we're very young and don't even realize it. So if you're learning from a parent the meaning of words, which you do, you're also learning the emotional attachment to it without realizing it. And 70% of spoken language is in the prosody, which is in the tone of it. 
So 70% of what we hear is in the tone of the language, not the actual words. And when people understand that, they tend to look inward at the tone that they're manifesting. And it changes how you communicate. So you and I could be using the same words, but the emotion attached to it could be different for each of us. That difference would come from our childhood where we learned the language, but we wouldn't even realize that it's quite unconscious. It's an aspect of us that's in our unconscious, and it manifests in language. And then I got interested in body language, working with bodies for so many years. You just told me about how if I use a word and you use the same word, and yet we're speaking it in different ways, we're in different paradigms or different models. Using your model, you're sharing a way that we can find a connection when we've been disconnected. Can you tell me how or what that looks like? I think the primary thing to do is to define your words for yourself. How do you actually mean them? Because I watch people fight, I watch them argue, and I see that they don't have the same definition. They don't even realize it for the words that they're using. And so it takes some work to really define for yourself. The other thing one can do is look at the etymology, which is the origin of a word, and look at its original meaning. And if you're both using the original meaning, go get a book of etymology or look it up online, then you're in the same reality. Can you tell me more about that inward work with using this model that, okay, so now I've figured out that I can start to tune inward, what do I do? Well, it's interesting because that takes us into the emotions and the unconscious drive. I mean, 90% of what we do comes from our unconscious. And for me, the word unconscious just means that you're not aware of something. So 90% of what drives us, we're unaware of. And underlying all language, I believe, is emotion. And the word emotion means to move out of. So it actually means you're taking a feeling or an emotion and that is what's driving your language you may not realize it. So one of the ways of separating out emotion from the literal verbal language is to start defining the language that you're using. And you can then have an emotion separate from the language. You can work on that emotion at a separate time or place. And then you and the other person, if you're both doing the same thing, are in a common reality as you're speaking. So it actually afforded me the ability to differentiate out my unresolved emotion. I mean, if you see two people screaming at each other, there is no communication. It's happening in our world everywhere now. And if you look, you can see that it's mostly from an emotional place. And I'm not talking about emotional versus rational so much. You can be rational and still have emotions driving you. I'm talking about going in and understanding the force behind what you're actually saying not suppressing it and talking from a place of unawareness, but knowing what it is and then talking from a separate place. The quote you had written here, that if you see everything as language, you expand your world. Well, you know, it's, I have um, an example of that. I think about uh, questions because I'm quite the questioner and I can see people get threatened. And I, I see a question as an invitation to a journey, not a challenge. And so my perception is now it's changed. And if everybody saw a question as an invitation to a journey, rather than as a challenge, it would change the outcome. So you have the power to change outcomes by the language that you use. And the other major part of language is that 
someone may come into a room and you will the silent language as you will see by their posture by their by almost the energy they come in with by their facial expression by their dress you will already have seen that language from them and formed an opinion before they even speak one word out loud so this is the power of the language it's it's everywhere around us we just don't see it as that so if you see everything as language you expand your world well if you see everything as language and that's a really broad statement but it's true and i also see it as information i remember once candy pert who was the woman who discovered endorphins she was a phd neuroscientist she used to talk about information molecules in the body they were peptides and they would um communicate information throughout the body so i see language as an information molecule every word we say is an information molecule that communicates something to someone else so if you if you see everything as language you not only expand your world but you give yourself options that you didn't have it opens up new worlds to you it's really about opening up new worlds yeah by seeing differently and i i for instance a label i see a label as a full stop So when I started working with this little girl and they said she was autistic, I didn't know anything about autism. I was asked to treat her cranially and I didn't know anything about autism, so I went and looked it up. Because I didn't have the training in how to treat autism, but for me a body is a body is a body. I looked it up and it means selfism. And I thought, "Oh, okay, I can go with that." And so it opened up a different world for me and for this child because I then saw the selfism as myself why is this child selfism whatever that means i am everybody i know is why is it to such an extreme and then i was able to get to the why and expand on it by not being limited by the label you are able to create connection that that other teacher could not because she was stopped at the label of oh this throwing of the pen is Exactly and I see it in our world now everybody's labeling everybody else but there's not movement between people it becomes a full stop when i say you're a progressive or you're a republican this or that that's a full stop that's i i don't want to stop i want to keep communicating and moving forward and i think that's really important especially now and then also interpretation i i i have a donkey who tends to back up to me and she backs up to other people and they get scared right away and she's backing up because she wants her butt rubbed not because she's going to kick you but people assume that she's going to kick you because that's what they've learned and they don't ask they just assume we make a lot of assumptions but her language is her own language that i've learned over time that she just wants her butt scratched and other people believe that donkeys will kick you and so their preconceived ideas influence how they interpret the language of my donkey mm-hmm. and then it influences the outcome yeah because they get scared this confusion she doesn't get her needs met it it just it snowballs yeah what would you love somebody to take away from this episode what would you want them to do with this information so i i i want to paraphrase the poet rumi who basically this is a paraphrase said get yourself a new language and you will see a new world i want to see a new world for each of us and all of us and i believe that this is a final common pathway for seeing differently in the world and so the way to do it is to a just start looking at every communication as language or as information without your preconceived ideas imagine that maybe what you're hearing or seeing is not what you think it is what's another way to look at it that would be my wish for now 
Could you give a specific example of a place to practice it that might be in an everyday interaction? Well, I would say to really look inside yourself as you're communicating with somebody and see what happens inside of your own physiology or in your state, your physiological state of being. Is that being impacted by how you're talking or by how someone's talking to you? And start looking at words and how you use them. Mm. Or even just sitting quietly by yourself. You know, ask yourself, what does this word mean to me? Could you just explain how does one tune in to their own physiological state? Well, a state is, you might call it a mood, you might call it how you feel. We all are in different states all the time. So there's a state of anxiety, there's a state of pleasure, there's a state, you name it. It, it, it has a physiological state that goes with it. Understanding that you have the ability to change state by looking at language and looking at communication is, for me, paramount. Years ago, I did an esoteric healing class. I did many of them, but the instructor talked about each of us being a cell in the body of, she used the word God, and there's enough work to change our own cells. Another quote from Rumi, which is, yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I am changing myself. I just really believe that changing ourselves is where true change comes.